0: Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message.
1: Good morning. I'm Donnie. I'm one of the elders. If you will uh, remain standing for just a moment, we're going to read our scripture this morning. We're continuing in the book of Luke. We're in chapter 12, starting in verse 22 today. And we're going to be reading verses 22 through 34. If you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning. My name's Bradley. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, it's good to be with you. Um, First Sunday of June. It's amazing. Um, Have you ever been about to tackle some sort of task or challenge, and uh, when you make the decision as to how you're going to go about whatever that is, you have this thought that pops up in your mind, this is probably not a good idea. (laughs) Is anybody going to be honest in here this morning? Come on, if you've had that thought. So I had that thought on Memorial Day, I was pressure washing my house, I was about to, and my wife decided she was going to clean out the garage while I was pressure washing, and she You know, dug out these plastic storage tubs that were sitting in our garage for who knows how long, and they were covered in cobwebs and dirt and dust. She says, "Hey, why don't you wash those off?" You know, before you get started. And I thought, okay, sure, I'll do that. And you know, you can't just put an empty plastic storage bin on the ground and squirt it with a pressure washer. It's going to go back here to Darren at the sound booth. So I grabbed it in one hand, grabbed the pressure washer in the other, and I had the thought. This is probably not a good idea, and I squeezed the trigger, pressure washer hit the bottom corner of that tub, turned my hand over, and I've got some skin sliced off my hand from a pressure washer. It turned out it wasn't a good idea. Jesus makes some very provocative statements in chapter 12 about money and about stuff and material things and how we think about them. And they're not provocative because we don't know what he's talking about. They're provocative because we do know. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know that. You know that. But how easy is it for us To fall into that temptation to think the exact opposite. To put our hope and our stock. Somebody, when Stephen said, hey, what's Jesus done for you? Somebody said eternal hope. That's right. He's given us hope that's eternal, and yet we are so tempted. Even though the thought pops up in our mind in some form or another, this is probably not a good idea to put our hope in things that don't last and are temporary. And Jesus tells a parable about a rich fool who had a windfall of a harvest, and he built bigger barns to store up that harvest. And what happens? He dies. All that effort for naught. And every time I read that parable, I think about Dr. Heath. Dr. Heath uh, was my communications professor in college, and I graduated college in 1999, And in 2001, Mary and I moved back to Franklin Springs, Georgia, where Emanuel College is, and I went to work for the school. And Dr. Heath and I struck up a friendship. He was nearing retirement, but he loved to play golf. I loved to play golf. And so I was working for the school, and we would regularly just go play golf, a few holes, once or twice a week. I didn't have kids at the time. Y'all know how that goes, right? You just got all this time on your hands when you have no kids playing golf with Dr. Heath, and he would tell me about this dream that he had, a goal. He was nearing retirement. He'd been saving for a long time to buy an RV, a motorhome, a nice one, very expensive. That was his dream that he and his wife, when he retired, could ride off into the sunset in this nice new motorhome. And sure enough, while I was working at the school, he retired and he bought that thing. And I remember seeing it. I remember he gave me a tour of it. It was beautiful. It's amazing. And we we talked about all the places that he was planning to go, and I think they went on one, maybe two trips before he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I remember as he was going through treatment, and he didn't have the strength or the energy to get up off of his couch, and I would drive by his house and see that motorhome just parked in the driveway, Collecting dust. He died not long after that. Now, I don't think my friend Dr. Heath was like the rich fool. He's a good man. He loved the Lord. I don't think he put his hope in things, but it's just a stark reminder, isn't it, of how easy it is for us to succumb to the trap of putting our hope in stuff. And Jesus says, he puts into words what we often think when we are succumbing to that temptation, don't do that. Instead, be rich toward God. What does that mean? Be rich toward God. Stan did such a good job last week of making it clear that the Bible does not prohibit us from working hard, making money, sometimes lots of it, saving, retiring, enjoying the fruits of our labor the bible does not prevent us from doing that but jesus is certainly calling us to think differently about our stuff and one of the reasons he's doing that though he doesn't mention this here but the new testament talks about this quite a bit and i just feel like i need to mention this here is the dangers of wealth particularly the deceptiveness of riches here's here's what we know we, we have this strong inclination to be self-sustaining, self-preserving, self-satisfying, self-ruled people, right? That's the, that's the product of the fall. The primary problem between God and man is sin. The ultimate essence of sin is any effort that we make to satisfy ourselves preserve ourselves rule ourselves apart from him here's the danger of wealth when there's more than enough we are tempted to say to ourselves you know what i think i can do this i think i can satisfy myself i think I can preserve myself. I think I could do a pretty good job ruling myself because these riches that I have, these storehouses, these bank accounts make me feel like I'm enough. Even though we know in the back of our mind, we might even say it out loud that's probably not a good idea. Even in Luke's gospel, Jesus would say, Blessed are you who are poor. That's provocative. We taught on that. You'll have to go back. I can't unpack it now. And woe to you, warning if you're rich. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For if we brought nothing into the world, we, can take any, we cannot take anything out of the world. That sounds like the rich fool, doesn't it? But if we have food and clothing, we, with these, we will be content. Really? Hmm. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Did Paul say anything that we don't know? We know this. We know this experientially. There are times when you read the Bible and it creates entirely new categories of thought for you. And then there are other times where it affirms what we may have experienced in this life. We know the deceitfulness of riches. We know that contentment is a good thing, whereas the pursuit of wealth many times can lead to destruction and ruin. We can pierce ourselves with all kinds of pains. We think we want to be self-satisfying, self-preserving, self-ruled people. But the gospel calls us to something entirely different, doesn't it? It calls us into God-satisfying, God-preserving, God-ruled living. So, when it comes to our stuff, if that's the life we're leaning into as the children of God, God God-satisfying, God-preserving, God-ruled kind of living... How then do we approach our stuff? Verse 22, chapter 12. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That word life is the Greek word from which we get our word psyche. It means your essence. It means the root of you, your soul, from which your emotions stem from. Okay, the essence of your life, God, Jesus says, don't be anxious about it. What you will eat, nor, what you, your own, nor your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Here's what's interesting. When we read passages like this in Scripture, we hear Jesus talking about this stuff. Here's what we tend to do is we want to make our life about how rich we can be in stuff and still be okay with God. At least in the Western world, in America in particular, this is where we go with this. How rich can I be in stuff and still be okay with God? I know Jesus said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, how rich can I be? How much stuff can I have and still be okay with God? Do you realize that's that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is getting at? Here's the question at hand. How rich could you be in God and still be okay with stuff? How rich could you be? Let's turn that on its head and just think about that for a second. How rich could I be in God? Jesus says the first thing is, you want to find out about that? Don't be anxious. Don't be overly concerned. Don't let your mind be so caught up with what? Your survival? You notice Jesus is not talking about vacations or 401ks or vacation homes how many cars you have how big your house is or what what brand of clothing you're wearing he boils it down to our most primal needs food and clothing you got to eat and you got to cover your nakedness he's talking about survival don't be anxious this is my you tell me if you think i'm wrong don't be anxious about surviving you want to be rich in god Do you want a life that's not based on the abundance or lack of your possessions? Don't be anxious about your survival. Does that kind of make you think of the statement earlier in chapter 12 that he made? Don't be afraid of those who could kill you. (laughs) I mean, so you're walking in downtown Greenville late at night, and someone walks up to you and puts a nine millimeter between your eyes. Don't be afraid of that guy. Why? Because if he pulls the trigger and ends your life, that's all he can do. That's an eternal perspective. That's eternal hope. Don't be afraid of that, God. Jesus says, don't anchor your security and your joy in bigger barn building. And you know that. You think it in your mind. This is not a good idea. Not wrong to save, not wrong to earn, but don't anchor your joy and security into the size of your barns. Don't be anxious about your survival because your life is more than food, what you consume, and your body's more than clothes, what you put on. What makes this so challenging is that survival is our basic human instinct. So Jesus, we're going to need some help with this. If you're helping us understand what it means to be rich towards God, and if I'm not to be anxious about my survival, what's the basis for that? Verse 24, consider the ravens. He's essentially talking about crows. I can't stand crows. Uh Oh, I love y'all. We're on the same page with that. Just those squawking, annoying little creatures, aren't they? So when I read this, I go, Consider the crows. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, you read Jesus' words, it's like, "What? That's a small thing to add a span of uh, an hour to the span of your life. You can't even do that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Two things he says. Number one: God will listen, folks, this is so simple. Don't be anxious about your survival. God will take care of you. The Psalms declare, he oversees our coming and our going. And you know what that's talking about? That's not talking about when you leave your house to come to church and then go back home or go to the buffet. He's talking about your birth and your death. He oversees your coming and your going. If God is so meticulous, so meticulous that he would provide for the crows, and number the very hairs that are are or are not on your head. Don't be anxious. He will take care of you. Do you trust him to do that? Jesus says we can look to the ravens, parentheses, crows, and see God is a careful God. God is a God who takes care of his people. We are certainly more valuable than the ravens, than the crows. That's the first point. You can completely and totally entrust your survival to God and not be anxious about it. Here's the second point. You would be stupid not to do that. That's the second point. Who of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life. What is Jesus saying? He's saying your anxiety, your worry, your stress, your preoccupation with your stuff and material things is an an exercise in complete futility. If that's where you're putting your security, if that's where you're banking your hope, your safety, your surety, your peace... It's an exercise in futility because in a breath, in a moment, it can all be taken away. And Jesus knows that. He's not trying to take stuff from you. He's trying to give you an eternal perspective on this temporary life. It's like my struggle with patience. Contrary to you know, what you might think about me, I have a trouble with patience, particularly when I'm driving. And when there's bad traffic and I'm getting impatient, Mary, very sweetly, reminds me, your patience, impatience is not getting us there any faster. You know what's true? Our anxiety about stuff is not getting us anywhere. And we know that. As we say to ourselves, this is probably not a good idea. Jesus would say, yep, you're right, it's not. You need to drill past the abundance we enjoy and you need to realize your survival is in God's hands. You can trust him with that and you would be silly, foolish not to do so. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these but if God so clothes the grass which is alive to, in, in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Just how splendid was Solomon in terms of material things. Look at this on the screen. First Kings chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. We've met the queen of Sheba before. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Solomon's physical glory took her breath away. And we're not talking about a lady who was a custodian at BMW. We're talking about the Queen of Sheba. She's got her own stuff. This woman's breath was taken away by Solomon's splendor. And see, we read this and we go, Solomon. Wow. Boy, I'd love it if I could have some of that. And you know what Jesus is literally doing? He's going, Solomon? Look at the flowers. <laughs> Look at the flowers, not Solomon. You know, we 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 see Solomon's glory, and we go, oh, maybe maybe if I'm faithful, Jesus will give me some of that. God will bless me in those ways materially, so that I can have this, and I can have that, and I can enjoy this luxury and this level of comfort, and what have you. And God, and Jesus is saying. You're missing the point. Look at the goodness of God put on display in the flowers who do absolutely nothing. What's Jesus doing? He's putting our needs in perspective by highlighting the character and nature of our God. Psalmist David said, magnify the Lord with me. What do we do? We magnify stuff. We magnify our gaps. We magnify the compare and contrast game that we play with each other and our family members and our neighbors. Oh, they have this and I don't have that. That's what we magnify. Jesus is saying, Look at the character and nature of your God who takes care of birds and clothes the lilies. What are you worried about? So He comes to a conclusion here in verse 29. And I think that really would be better translated so. So do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Don't be anxious about your survival. Don't worry about material things. Don't be preoccupied with it. They're not bad. It's not wrong to have them. It's not wrong to earn and enjoy the fruits of your labor. But be careful. You with me on that? You with Jesus on that? Don't worry about that stuff. Why? Because all the nations of the world seek after these things. People that do not have faith and confidence in our God, they're anxious about these things, and you should be different. Why? Because you're a child of God. Your father knows you need them. So instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. When we read about God as father, the obvious implication is that we are his parents. How many times have you looked at your kids, particularly when they're young, with a great degree of admiration and just a hint of jealousy, and you think to yourself or you say, they don't have a care in the world. Oh, your parents are nodding. You've been there. They just play away, don't they? They play away. They, they go about their business They let us know when they're hungry or when they're cold or when they're hot. And what's the expectation? We're going to do something about it. They don't worry about how the bills are going to get paid. They don't worry about how they're going to get to baseball practice or to piano lessons or to church. They don't even, my kids rarely worry about what time it is, right? It's the summer now. And Ella and I were talking about this, and we were riding around the truck. She's like, what day is it? I don't even know. (laughs) We envy that, don't we? And yet, what does the Bible call us to? Childlike faith. Not childish. We're not called to be immature, but we are called to trust like little children. Here's what's interesting. My children are getting old enough now that they're starting to realize in their own way incrementally that there are limits to the kind of provision and protection that Mary and I can provide them. In other words, you know this if you've raised middle schoolers and high schoolers and on into college and you experienced this yourself is that as we start to come of age, we start to battle more and more what? Insecurity. We don't feel as safe anymore. When it's time to provide for ourselves, we start to get worried and anxious. When you graduate college and you get your first real job and you get an apartment and you've got a real rent that's due and a power bill that's due and a water bill that's due, you start to feel that anxiety creeping up. Oh no, what am I going to do? As we come of age, we start to reckon with the fact that resources, regardless of where they come from in this life, are limited, right? And to a certain degree, they're powerless to provide us with real security and safety and satisfaction. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be preoccupied with stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Your father knows you need those things. Instead, what? Seek the kingdom." I don't know about you, but that seems a little counterintuitive to me. Seek the kingdom. Two questions arise from that. Two questions. Number one: If I'm not going to be anxious about stuff and I'm going to seek the kingdom, is God really going to be good to me? Can I trust that God is going to be good to me? And then here's question number two: Is the kingdom really a better pursuit? Now, we're in church, and so you would probably say yes to both of those answers. But if you're like me, I think you are, and I'm like you, there's there's something down deep on the inside of us that we want to know. We want to be sure. Is God really going to be good? And if I seek the kingdom, is that really better? Jesus, can you help us with that? Verse 32. Fear not. I love this verse. Oh, Fear not, little flock. That's a term of endearment. you're not, little one, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Is God really going to be good to you? Sometimes Christians have this misconception that when God is good, he's acting out of character. That really what he'd rather do is judge us. What he'd rather do is limit us and restrict us and make us squirm by making us do hard things that he's basically all the time irked with us. It's just not true. You're his child. He, God's a happy God. I'm not talking about with the world in general, I'm talking about with you, his people, his children, his little flock. He's happy. He's happy when he's good, and he's good all the time. So guess what we've got? A happy God. Even when his goodness, we are unable to perceive it at the time, he's still being good to us. And he takes great pleasure in being good to his children. Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure, his great pleasure to give you. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't behave your way into it, give you the kingdom. We can trust Him to be good to us. So, I'm not to be anxious, but I'm to seek the kingdom. And I can take Jesus at His word that He is going to be good to me. Is the kingdom a better pursuit? Is it a better effort? Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is the seat of your emotions. He's talking about joy. I think Stan mentioned this little parable last week. The kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field, and when a man finds it for joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field for joy. Jesus is not telling us to cease our pursuit of joy. Quite the opposite. He's telling us pursue the greater joy, the lasting joy a joy that's so great in receiving the kingdom that the natural response would be, instead of being anxious about your stuff, sell it and give it away. That's not, that's not a command. Do you realize that? That's not an imperative from Jesus that says to all his people, sell your possessions and give the money away. What he's talking about is he's talking about a freedom we can experience when we seek first the kingdom that when we, re- when we cease to be anxious about stuff in our survival and we receive his good gift that he has great pleasure in giving the kingdom, the natural response is, I don't need this stuff. I'll give it away because I found something better. Why is it better? Provide yourselves with money bags, verse 33 again, that do not grow old. It never ages, and it never diminishes. Anything and every... This is so practical. Anything and everything that we can buy in this life will age and eventually lose value. Jesus says the kingdom never will. With a treasure in heaven, in the heavens, that does not fail it will never, I'm going to use a double negative, it will never not be enough. Inflation will never touch it. Seriously. It'll never touch it. It'll never cease to be enough for you. It will always be enough. And where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, it will, can never be taken from you, And it will never experience corruption. No moth will be able to eat it. It's the greater treasure. It's the greater joy. And it is the rule and the reign. What did Jesus teach us in Luke 11? Pray this way. Father, hallow your name. Let your kingdom come. That's what we want. We want his kingdom, and we're not going to settle for anything less than his kingdom. That's the pursuit of the Christian life, is that I want him, I want his rule, I want his reign, I want his will, I want his presence, because that's the treasure that will never grow old, it will never fail, and no thief's going to take that away from me, and no moth's going to eat it. But we need eyes of faith to see this, We need the spirit that was poured out 2,000 years ago to see this. Because even though we tell ourselves, probably not a good idea to put my hope in stuff, how tempted are we to do just that? So ask yourself a couple of questions. Are you a child of God? As a child of God, are you anxious about material things? If so, and I don't mean this in any kind of condescending way, if you're anxious about it, why? Why? And I think if we're honest, if we're battling anxiety about that, if we're honest, what we need, you notice Jesus says in verse Versus it. O um, you of little faith. Where is that? Somebody tell me. 28. O you of little faith. Notice he says, he doesn't say, O you of no faith. O you of little faith. In other words, if we're anxious about stuff, the prayer we might need to pray is, Lord, increase my faith. And that's a bit of a scary prayer to pray because he might just let you take that for a test drive. He might in some way let you feel, and this is is good, he'll be good to you when he does this. He might let you feel the temporary weak foundation of your hope being placed in stuff. Why? So that you will see it's his pleasure to give me the kingdom. When the psalmist cried out, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, my God. Is that a good thing? Is it a good good thing to hunger for God? Is it a good thing to cry out to him, O Lord, I need you. I want you. I want your presence. I need your spirit and your power to be at work in me. And you know what? I don't think we have to... Experience lack in material things in order to feel desperation. I think if we read the Bible well, our abundance materially could produce the same kind of desperation. I really believe that. I really believe we could look at our abundance and we could go, we could heed the warnings in Scripture. Not think that the best thing to do is to get rid of it all. But say, oh Lord, don't let me put my hope in this stuff. Keep me, keep me looking to you like a little child for my survival. And if you would so be inclined, lead me to sell and give. Why? Because when you do that, you put on display the worth of the greater treasure. This is lesser than. He is greater than. Amen? All right, pray with me. Lord, give us faith. Increase our faith. And here's what I want to pray over all of us, myself included, that you would free us. Free us. This is what we're after. We're after freedom and we're after joy because that's what your words call us to. Free us from the pursuit of self-sufficiency. Let those chains fall off. Free us from the pressure to be self-satisfying. And free us from the trap of self-rule. Keep us from anxiety and worry about stuff. And let us look to you like little children in faith, realizing it is your good, great pleasure to give us your kingdom. May we live that way. It's in your son's name that we pray. Everyone said amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us.